2: We are slowly getting more details about what happened at the RCMP's National Intelligence Centre. You may remember the name Cameron Ortiz. That is the high-ranking, former, I should say, high-ranking civilian employee that is now facing espionage charges. He was at the top of that National Intelligence Centre And yet, that was despite knowing about problems with his leadership. Let's talk more about what has been found out now. Joining us is Stuart Bell, Global News investigative journalist who has been looking into this story. Stuart, thanks for being with us. Good morning. Now, can you run us through, there were clearly some problems with Cameron Ortiz's leadership. What did the RCMP know even years ago about this?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with Cameron Ortiz, who was arrested just over a year ago for uh, allegedly um, passing on RCMP secrets to the people that were uh, being targeted by the RCMP. Uh, but I think what we've found here is there's a much bigger story, really, that had to do with um, this whole National Intelligence Center that Mr. Ortiz was uh, was put in charge of. And uh, so if you look at what happened, he was brought in in about In 2016, and um, almost immediately after he uh, took over the National Intelligence Coordination Center, uh, the staff there began to complain um, about his uh, his demeanor, his harassment. There were a lot of people were quite um, concerned about him, and raised red flags to senior uh, RCMP officials. Uh, within months of him arriving uh, in his position at the NICC. And yet, uh, what this report that we've obtained shows um, is that really very little was done to deal with those complaints. Uh, Those red flags were ignored, and ultimately, Mr. Ortiz went on to allegedly uh, not only steal RCMP um, intelligence secrets, but to apparently shop them to, um, to criminal networks.
2: So this report that we're hearing about now, did it kind of demonstrate how this happened? Like, why were all of those stories ignored?
3: Yeah, it does. I mean, there's a lot of detail on exactly what happened. I think what happened was the, the RCMP senior brass really had high hopes for Mr. Ortiz. They they thought he was a, a genius. He was you know, an, an academic, a civilian. He wasn't a regular member of the RCMP. And um, they they thought that they could use him to really raised the level of intelligence in the RCMP and perhaps more importantly, they wanted to increase their reputation among their international partners like the FBI. So they thought they, they really entrusted him with a lot of uh, power, a lot of intelligence secrets. In fact, they assigned him specifically to begin using very classified information to try and, um, to try and improve the quality of RCMP intelligence. So they seemed to have had something invested in him succeeding. And uh, when they began to get complaints, they really did not listen to them carefully. They seemed to dismiss them as employees who were simply complaining about change that was you know, threatening to staff members. And there were allegations among some of those staff that um, he was really protected by an old boys network of senior uh, RCMP leaders.
2: You know, Stuart, what amazes me about that is that while all of that is unfolding and going on, at the same time, the RCMP on the outside was facing allegations of the same thing, right? We were hearing about bullying within the RCMP, all those high-profile cases involving women, and yet they were still perpetuating it at the highest levels.
3: Exactly. I mean, this has been a systemic issue within the RCMP. What's different here is that um, Mr. Ortiz, um, you know, not only had complaints about him, but he was... Uh, a relative newcomer in the RCMP, a civilian um, who had just unprecedented access to classified information, not only from Canadian intelligence, but from the intelligence services of our allies as well. And despite those complaints and all the potential for uh, problems that could arise from somebody misusing that intelligence um, those complaints were not dealt with, and ultimately he did, allegedly, according to the charges against him, mm-hmm. misuse the intelligence he was entrusted with.
2: So what happens next in his case now?
3: Well, his case is before the courts. He hasn't been convicted. Um, they're still going through the lengthy process of trying to determine what evidence can be used in the trial and what it can remain classified, because whenever you have national security cases, there's uh, debates over Um, not disclosing certain information. So it's going to be a while before his case uh, comes to a head, I think.
2: Is there any indication from the top levels of the RCMP today, Stuart, that uh, they've changed things or that this wouldn't happen again?
3: Well, the the senior RCMP officials who were in power at the time Ortiz was brought in and and promoted through the ranks um, have left almost all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, new leaders have taken over and they have promised, in fact, they ordered this review, um, after Mr. Ortiz's arrest to try and, uh, get to the bottom of this issue. And they have promised to act upon the recommendations that they get. So, you know, we have to wait and see.
2: All right, Stuart, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's Stuart Bell, global news investigative journalist. You can read his latest on this Cameron Ortiz story at globalnews.ca. But once again, more allegations that the RCMP says one thing publicly does another thing behind the scenes. There's more to come on that for sure. Let's talk about online shopping, shall we? It has so increased since this pandemic began. People feel safer, of course, shopping from their homes. And now looking ahead to the holiday season and perhaps some Christmas shopping, you can bet that even more people are going to be doing some of that online this year. So there are some things that you definitely need to be aware of if you're going to be doing that, because not everybody is comfortable or used to paying for things on the Internet. So joining us now is BCSI President Denny Gagnon to talk about some of the ground rules for that. Denny, thank you very much for being with us.
4: Morning, Simi. How are you?
2: I am good. Thank you. Now, I think we assume that most people can have done some shopping uh, on the Internet, perhaps not as comfortable, though, as others.
4: Well, there's some great benefits of buying online. I don't want to be the bearer of all bad news. I mean, obviously, you can shop 24-7. You can have your delivery at home in the office. You don't have to travel to the retailer, better pricing, more choices. But on the other side of the coin, um, there is some risk in regards to buying online. Some of the risks are basic. Basically, the item you're buying may not fit you. It may get damaged. It may be delayed in delivery. But it's more profound than that in regards to what uh, cyber criminals are doing, and one of the typical uh, approach that they're taking is basically a phishing campaign, where you get those emails with an incredible offer, and basically which is called spoofing. And mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is to go you to click on a link, go to a website, and start entering your information. Once your identity has been breached, then it's a real problem to retrieve the information when it's been exposed to the dark web and so on and on the web. So basically, um, buying online is great, but there is some recommendation that we have to, some rules we have to follow.
2: Okay, can I ask you a couple things that I look for and get your opinion on that? Yes, go ahead. One is, I I tend to always use PayPal if it's offered. Uh, and second, I don't. They want to make you sign up for everything every time you buy something. I prefer to just continue on as a guest and not give them all my information. Is that better?
4: That's a great. That's a great idea. In regards to PayPal, Apple Pay, Google Pay, any of those are mobile payments that can be quite secure and and, and in fact very secure. So what you're doing is great. And also when you're looking on the website, and often you know what occurs is that you look at the. The title of the website and in the domain name, and there is a spelling error or it's missing one letter right. and that's a real clue at that time also the the, the real uh, website are using what's called uh, SSL secure Sockets layer, which is basically an HTtps in the in the uh, domain name and the HTtPS is highly regulated so if you see that in front of the www there's a good chance very very good chance that the website is Legit. Also, you can deal obviously with companies that are um, legitimate that you've known over mm-hmm. the years and purchase many things from them. You can choose credit over debit. In your case, you're using PayPal, which is great. Um, some browser, uh, some new browsers that are coming online are now blurring your identity. And obviously, you can use VPN and 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 things like this to virtual private network to cover your identity. So there is many ways you can you can protect yourself. But once your identity has been exposed. That's when you you're really running into major problems because it's extremely hard to retrieve the information.
2: Right. So that's that's why you're also saying choose credit over debit, right? Because sometimes I'm tempted to use debit because I think I just I don't want to get the bill for this.
4: Yeah, and the fact is is that then you have no recourse. If you're using debit, it's extremely it's like wiring money to a website overseas, for example, and trying right. to get the items. Your recourse is extremely, extremely limited to retrieve your money.
2: Okay, so then always choose credit.
4: That's what I I would recommend in in most cases, and um, basically, now with Christmas coming and COVID, we're gonna see a huge increase. And, and and the retailers have been quite creative. I mean obviously you can buy online and pick up at the curb, you know, this is something that, that can yeah. be done. Uh, some people don't like to do that because it fe- they feel like it's defeat the purpose of going to the mall and to the retailer. Um, I've used a hybrid of those things and obviously I stick with companies that I know. Meanwhile, now we're gonna get into another issue which is some companies are having major problems now financially, and people are gonna buy gift cards and you know online. Mm. And so on. Are those gift cards going to become obsolete if the company goes under? So that's another thing we've been seeing in the past a couple of months now where a lot of people are stuck with their gift cards and they can't use them. So that's another issue that people have to consider. It's a bit of a sidetrack to buying online, but it's something that if you're buying a lot of gift cards, you have to make sure the company will be running in January.
2: No, that's a great point, Denny. I hadn't even thought about that because I have a lot of nieces and nephews right now who are getting to that age where I don't want to risk buying them something that they don't like. So I would probably go the gift card route, but maybe that's not such a great idea.
4: Oh, you can end up like me having like 10 uh, coffee cards in, in, your, in your wallet that you never use. So, I mean, I've got some from last year. So basically, you know, um, this is one thing that's really concerning me at this point because of COVID and what's going on. And some companies are in major dire of going under and they get all those gift cards and the person is stuck not being able to use them. So it's to kind of be a bit of a sidebar, but it's something to consider, I think, at Christmas here.
2: So if you think something has gone wrong, well, like what should you do right away?
4: What should you do if you've been scammed? You can act immediately, so you can report it to the authorities. What's happened now is that we have, you know, obviously a pandemic of those things, so they're they limited in the resources so they can assist you. You can collect and organize your intelligence as much as possible. When someone contacts us, if they have their intelligence uh, very organized, that really helps us. Contact your credit card company and have the charge reverse. That's why I'm using that, in that fact that, you know, with a credit card, mm-hmm. you can stop basically and get a refund. And some media outlets, you know, for example, Global uh, and for example, will chase those people and, and try to uh, to recover their, their their money. And that's a, a program that you know Global offers. So that's one to be the consumer support, the consumer protection, and uh, report to Better Business Bureau. Is also the Anti-Fraud Canada uh, uh, website. Mm-hmm. And for a large sum of money, for example, if you're buying a car online, then some people at that point will consider a private investigator because the sum of money is so, is so high. And, and we see some very, very large purchase online of vehicles and, and things like that when you're dealing with $20,000, $30,000, $40,000. Then that's a different, that's a different issue right. than buying a gift, you know, like a gift card, for yeah.
2: example. That's big stuff. All right, Danny, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day, Simi. Bye-bye. You too. Denny Gagnon, president of BCSI Investigations, with some very good advice for your holiday shopping online. We're going to talk about some Christmas shopping. We were just talking about safety when when it comes to shopping online. Uh, now it turns out you may not even get the chance to do it because what you're looking to buy may not be available. Our Nikki Wright is here with more on that. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning, Simi. Uh,
1: it sounds like one of the top toys this year that people want to buy is... Baby Yoda dolls. Oh, yeah. And I will say, I was just having this conversation briefly off the air with our technical producer, Greg, and he said, What? Ray Lyota? I said, No, Baby
2: Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> That's even funnier. That's <laughs> Ray Liotta would be like, Yeah, the Ray Liotta doll. but Yoda no. Doll, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Baby, I can see that. Baby Yoda, this is the second year now because of the popularity of The Mandalorian. Like, Baby Yoda is everywhere. And what's really interesting um, is that even though it seems like, you know, spending is down, the one area that I guess retailers haven't been able to keep up is toys. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because
1: you know, if you were to ask me this, whatever, yesterday, I would have said, no, I think that all spending will be down this year. Parents will be more conservative. Everyone's going to be a little bit more conservative with their spending. But retail analysts are saying, no, we're expecting almost the opposite of that. Well, spending will be down in other places for people this Christmas. There's going to be less traveling, less socializing. You're not going to be meeting as many people for dinners or drinks or coffees or so forth, you know, around the holiday season, maybe not buying gifts for coworkers like you would have in the past either. This year, what they're expecting is that parents will try to compensate for the bad year that it's been for their kids. And they'll try to make sure that this is going to be a special Christmas. And that means toys under the Christmas tree and the toys that their kids want under the Christmas tree this year.
2: Okay, here's another one that is almost already sold out. So if you want to get this one, you better get it today. Uh, This is the collaboration between Lego and Nintendo. So you can actually make real life versions of the stuff in Super Mario, like you can make the deserts, the grasslands, the whole thing. Like you can see why that would be hugely popular. Oh, that's
1: very cool. I mean, of course, yeah. Video games, sales, uh, I'm sure will be massive again this year all through the pandemic. That's actually one area that's continued to do well along with those other you know, boredom busters that you could call them, crafts, puzzles, that kind of stuff. Stuff to keep kids entertained at home. Sales have been doing well all through the pandemic. So I can't imagine that Trend changing at all as we head closer towards Christmas.
2: No kidding. So you would have been quite young during the whole tickle me Elmo craziness, right? I
1: was. I'm just trying to think of when that was. That was kind of late 1996. 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, 1996. Yeah, 1996 was that craziness. Which I never had a tickle me Elmo doll, but I feel like I would have been young enough that it would have maybe been just. Yeah, yeah. I remember the craziness. I certainly remember the craziness. Oh, I remember I parents worked in getting trampled. Yeah, they were.
2: I was working in the newsroom, and because I was a young reporter, obviously, I didn't have holidays over Christmas, so I was working the entire Christmas season. And that was the biggest story. And so somebody donated one to us at the TV station to auction off for charity. The phones went nuts. I have never seen anything like it before (laughs) or since. And I think toy makers have tried to avoid that. But they said this year, the pandemic has caught them off guard.
1: You know, it's funny. That's something I've never been able to relate to. And I think because growing up, we never had that desire to have the in-demand toy. And my parents certainly were not going to be going to the store to get us the in-demand toy and line up for hours in order to purchase it. So... I, I never really fully understood that. the I have to get my kid the hottest toy this year, and I'll do it at any lengths, even if it means stampeding over other
2: parents. Jingle all the that way. Right? That's that Warner Schwarzenegger movie. Um, I think what yeah. happens is when you're a parent, like you're right, if, if it's been a tough year, if you've had a bad year, you just you want to see your kids smile and be so happy on Christmas Day. So you do think, oh, they asked for this. Santa. They asked Santa for this. So I really, Mm, I I have to make sure Santa is able to get this for them. And I don't know, something takes over. I don't know if it's the competitive juices or what happens, (laughs) but it just becomes something you have to do. Uh, I think one year for me, it was a a dollhouse, like a Barbie dollhouse that my daughter really wanted. And man, for some reason, I just could not find that thing anywhere. And it drove me crazy. Well, and we think back to, of course, the Cabbage Patch dolls from the 80s. That was nuts. They were what? The original Tickle Me Elbow, were they not? Oh, that was nuts. I was was like 13 years old when that happened. And I vividly remember that as well, because people would go. There was mobs. Mobs in the store, Nikki. Store people (laughs) were like getting run over by mobs of people trying to grab a Cabbage Patch doll. Now when you look at them, you go, why? Like, what was so great about that thing? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting this year,
1: too, because there is a decline in in in-person shopping. Not as many people going to brick and mortar stores and purchasing items, of course, because of the pandemic. So maybe we won't see those mass mobs (laughs) trying to get into stores this year to buy their kids toys. Instead, it'll be, you know, you'll look into your neighbor's window as you're walking by and see them slamming their fists against their keyboard because they haven't been able to order the toy online or they've been kicked out of the online queue or something like that. That is exactly
2: it. Nikki, thank you. One of the signs that this wave of COVID-19 is definitely worse than the first one is the fact that we're seeing more cases in parts of the province that didn't really see cases uh, before now. In fact, there have now been more cases of COVID-19 on Vancouver Island in the month of November that there had been in total up until now. So that's why we're hearing Tofino and Yuclid asking people outside of their communities to do them a favour and don't come to visit until at least November 23rd. Now, for more on this, we're joined now by Britt Chalmers, who's the acting mayor of Tofino. Good morning, and thank you for being here.
5: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
2: So what is the message that you want to send out there to people, just so we're very clear?
5: Well, the message that we put out about a week ago, uh, which was joint with our, our chamber and our tourism in Tofino, was that people from the health regions, and at the time it was the coastal the Vancouver Coastal and the Fraser Valley, was just to wait until travel was recommended again. Uh, we want to be able to welcome people back as soon as possible and just asking people to keep us safe. Now, I know yesterday there was some, sort of, there was some new comments from Dr. Henry. Mm-hmm. So we're just we're just reaching out for some more clarification before we put out a statement exactly what that means, um, but- just to help people understand if they should come or not.
2: Right. But for now, you're saying just hold off on planning that trip.
5: Yeah, re- reschedule. I know all the accommodation providers are working really well with people to be able to reschedule or cancel. Um, we're a small community, and we just want to keep everybody safe.
2: Now, what had how had tourism been doing? Had it rebounded? Was it busy during the summer?
5: It was a busy summer. It was a very different summer than we're used to. Um, we got a lot of uh, local BC travellers, a lot of islanders, people exploring their backyard that they haven't seen before. So it was really
2: interesting. And was it enough to kind of keep a lot of businesses afloat in those communities?
5: It, it, was. it was. It was busier than, it, than expected, and it stayed busy through the fall, which was abnormal. Normally, it kind of dies out after, I'd say loosely after um, Thanksgiving, and we've been busy right through till, till recently.
2: Right. So, in a lot of ways, then, Tofino and Euclid have been quite fortunate.
5: We have, and I think everybody's aware of that, too.
2: Right. And now, the original message to keep people away is, is really to protect the infrastructure there, isn't it? Because you don't really have a lot of room if people start to get sick.
5: Th- that's part of it. I think it's, 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 there's a few parts. There's we The hospital is small and it, it's regional so it's Euclid, it's First Nations is it's us and we don't have the facilities to, to handle a big outbreak or or major um, trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so we rely a lot on the region. So if cases are picking up around in Nanaimo and Port Alberni, it really affects us there. Um, as well, there's a lot of communities in the area that are close, uh, a lot of the First Nations communities and it's it's, it's following the orders to keep people, um, to help combat COVID, so to keep people safe amongst the province. If people are being asked not to travel to stay home, then we're just recommending that they follow those suggestions.
2: All right. We'll put the message out there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. That's Britt Chalmers, the acting Tofino mayor. Uh, the mayor was Josie Osborne, of course, and she's now waiting to be sworn in as an MLA. But the message stays the same, and that is they're asking you to rethink a potential trip to Tofino and Euclid at least for the rest of this month until they get more clarity about you know what is going on with the public health orders and how the cases are doing. Uh, surprisingly, they had been doing quite well in all of this, but for now... Please don't visit if you're from the Metro Vancouver area. They're saying just hold off on that trip.
4: More education and hoping people will, will um, cooperate. But if the ones that don't, then we do fine.
5: We, we issued a number of fines over the last weekend.
2: That is Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum talking about the situation regarding COVID-19 cases in that city. Uh, Up, up, and up seems to be the number, and it's definitely impacting businesses for sure. And if those numbers keep going up, then you are talking about things, more businesses and places being shut down. And a return to that kind of lockdown like we had in the spring would devastate local businesses. To talk more about that, we're joined now by Surrey Board of Trade CEO Anita Hubberman. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, Simi. Does it worry you when you hear and see what's going on with COVID-19?
6: Oh, so worried. And of course, we can't afford another economic shutdown. And, and that's what businesses are really afraid of. Uh, some businesses have been shut down uh, without government supports, um, But uh, we're, we're just so concerned as to what is going on in Simi.
2: And what are you hearing from businesses? Have, have they been able to hang on until this point?
6: Well, some businesses have shut down, and uh, it's very unfortunate. We've uh, learned uh, from this pandemic that uh, some small businesses, they have very limited savings. And uh, so the beginning of the pandemic, the first three months, they went through their savings. Uh, Phase three started, and... Uh, It was very challenging for them to, you know, recoup that money uh, under health and safety protocols. But uh, some are managing really well. Many have innovated. Uh, Our manufacturers have innovated. And many of our essential services uh, that are in Surrey, our essential businesses, uh, you know, have been able to thrive and innovate and pivot. But uh, some have closed down, and uh, I think we're going to see more of that in quarter one, fiscal 2021.
2: And what about, do you think the businesses out there that have been playing by the rules and some that have been not, has that been an issue?
6: It's been an issue. I mean, uh, as soon as the health order came down uh, from Bonnie Henry a couple weeks ago, closing down the the dance uh, studios, the gyms, many phoned and said, you know, Anita, we have been following these health and safety protocols. We haven't been spoken to and we're being punished for others that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I think, uh, you know, we're all learning from communication and and what needs to be in terms of pre-communication and in uh, in advance of health orders. But, um, you know, when a business is shut down, Simi, uh, they lose revenue, they still have bills to pay.
2: It's been challenging in in Surrey as well, right? I mean, there's all sorts of other issues going on. You've got the budget coming down, the mayor talking about that. Uh, How has the Board of Trade responded to that?
6: Well, we're evaluating uh, the budget document, which uh, came out yesterday, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to present in front of mayor and council. We've been speaking to senior management about our concerns that business is going to pay the burden of city e- expenditures. And, uh, you know, on first glance, I'm seeing it already, and, uh, but we're going to be uh, doing a comprehensive evaluation of that city budget.
2: And how would you say that relationship is like? What has the city of Surrey been doing to help businesses during this time?
6: Well, I mean, uh, they've uh, their economic development department has worked with the manufacturers within our city. Uh, you know, been uh, concierge of connections, just like the Surrey Board of Trade. Uh, they try doing this uh, patio permitting uh, program trying to speed up processes, but only 12 restaurants took advantage of it in the summer. And, um, you know, it's been limited uh, from by local government, I would say. Uh, you know, most of the support has been through the federal government. Right. And, you uh, you know where our, our whole city budget presentation is going to be on the foundation of what needs to be done for economic recovery to support business.
2: Do you need uh, tougher measures, do you think though, against those businesses that aren't playing by the rules, perhaps? Would that help then?
6: Yes, and I mean, we're in a very unique uh, situation. We do have a uh, emergency response team that consists of the RCMP, City of Surrey bylaws, uh, Fraser Health, WorkSafe BC, uh, a unique collaboration where they go into businesses. And uh, they have been uh, fining. But I I think the enforcement, the watch, uh, especially during now and into the winter season, uh, needs to be continually enforced and monitored. And those fines need to be issued. But let's not punish those businesses that are doing well and following health and safety protocols.
2: Do you think people are starting to listen, Anita? Because clearly that was a problem, right? Too many gatherings, too many parties, too many get-togethers.
6: I would say for the most part, yes, people are adhering to health and safety protocols. Everyone needs to realize that you can fit the cities of Vancouver, Richmond, Burnaby in our geography. And we're growing still by 1,200 people a month. Uh, But there are some that are ruining it for everyone. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's a problem.
2: It certainly is. All right, Anita, thanks for your time. Thank you, Simmy. That's Anita Haberman, the Board of Trade CEO in Surrey. We should mention as well that the Surrey Board of Trade and South Asian Business Association are holding a digital town hall today with Health Minister Adrian Dix and the Fraser Health CEO, Dr. Victoria Lee. That is happening at noon today. They're obviously doing a lot of reach out in Surrey in particular because of the uh, number of cases in Fraser Health. Let me just take a look at the totals that came out yesterday, the three-day totals. Right, you look at. The three-day totals for Vancouver Coastal Health were something like 450 or so cases. The three-day total for Fraser Health was well over 1,000-plus cases. Uh, So, yeah, there is a big difference there. Are things changing, though? That is the question. Are people listening to this new
0: mood, this new set of public health orders out there? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. You know, a lot of jurisdictions, they have
2: once again, closed restaurants to indoor dining, they have closed bars. But here in BC, we haven't done that. It's kind of been something that I think we should be a bit proud of that we were trying to keep things going for restaurants and bars. Uh, but it's outside of those, you know, jurisdictions outside of those areas where we have been passing along COVID-19 causing a problem. So, what has that meant for business inside restaurants and bars? Joining us now is Ian Tossinson, President CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. Good morning, Ian.
7: Hey, Simeon, congrats on your new dog.
2: Oh, (laughs) thanks. Story. Yeah, well, thanks. It's a lot of work, right? Like we figured we were home, might as well get a new dog, and we'd been talking about it for years.
7: Good for you. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. We've got two also, but. um, so restaurants, <clears throat> well, I would say, Simi, so I got to ask this question last week, and I think, you know, truly the difference in British Columbia is that uh, at the very beginning of this, we put together a, um advisory team of the best in industry to, to guide the whole process of what we needed to do, how we needed to open, what the protocols were. Right. And we put that in, into the government, and I think there continues to be today a strong sense of confidence from Dr. Henry and her staff, and the public. In fact, the, the great job that restaurants and pubs have done, you know, during the last eight months. And so that's that's that part of it is serving us well. Um, what didn't serve us very well was the confusion last week on the new health order uh, for uh, Fraser Valley and and Vancouver coastal areas. And it appeared that it was touching restaurants, and there was a couple of remarks made about who could go to restaurants and who couldn't go to restaurants. And, then you know, Mr. Dix was on your program. Mm-hmm. But, but it, w- what we know is there is nothing in the health order that talked about restaurants. As far as anybody's concerned, it's still, you know, it's still six people that you feel safe with uh, in a restaurant, you know, socially distanced between tables, no table hopping. Don't, we're good to go with that. But there was a perception in the last ten days that that wasn't the case, and, and unbelievably, within a day, reservations were canceled, and most of the crew yesterday on the advisory team, their sales in Vancouver and in, in, or Greater Vancouver off thirty to forty percent, literally overnight, just because of you know some of the remarks that were made. Really? So the public is really sensitive, and of course, you know we have to but, be a little careful. But if I come out and say go to restaurants, people go. Well, of course, he's going to say that, but. Truly, you can go to a restaurant, but the public perception was otherwise.
2: But Ian, that must be so frustrating then for those in the restaurant and food services industry, because we also know that that's not where transmission was occurring, right? It wasn't occurring at restaurants. It was occurring because guess what? People were going together in the car to the restaurant, or they were walking to the re- they were just spending time outside of the restaurant together.
7: Yeah, well, you know, the, the real target, if you look at her graphs from us, or Dr. Henry, um it's private parties it's homes it's uh high activity um gyms and restaurants i think it was like page nine for anybody who watches this you look at the transmission of restaurants it's it's almost it it, it, is nothing there like we just are not as she said and i've said this to you before um at halloween she said go to a restaurant you're safer there so we are that's the thing but it's, I think what she's trying to do is just limit all of us to sort of stay in our houses and just chill out for a couple of weeks here. But um, people really, really... Yeah. I was up at the pharmacy the other day, and the, and the pharmacist said, yeah, I understand we can't go to restaurants anymore. I said, that's not true. You can go to a restaurant, but just pick your spot, be responsible, go with people you trust. And the protocols, before you even get into a restaurant, you have to sort of check in now to make sure... You actually have no health uh, issues whatsoever, right? But um, and then the other thing that, that happened you'll find interesting is that correspondingly, as sales in-store dining go went down, and only in, in this area, not other parts of British Columbia, um, the uh, take-home and delivery went up about as much. It just, really? Literally, yeah, it just turns on overnight. So the the whole takeout and delivery now is about forty-five percent of our entire industry sales because. Uh, you know people go if i can 't feel safe or i don 't want to go to a restaurant then i 'll order my favorite stuff in which is you know which is which is great for the industry
2: right, but it also shows you though doesn 't it Ian, how flexible these businesses have to be right now to be able to pivot on a dime like that overnight
7: yeah, it's truly incredible they um they did in November in uh, thanksgiving they were like pre they, they were cooking there were turkey dinners you could order and there were there were Packages of bar items and wines you could get. Like they've done a really good job at pivoting. It's and it's survival mode. This is not like anybody's getting rich doing this, but if we can just get through, you know, even this Christmas, um, we put on our website a number of ideas. If you're going to go out and do a Christmas activity, you know, p- program a restaurant in, on the way and make a reservation and, and make it a sort of an experience going out. But we're going to, you know, miss the Christmas parties. But we just got to get to spring. And I think yeah. by we get the time we get to spring, it's going to be a different world. So,
2: what is the message then uh, from restaurants? Is it that listen, you can still take your significant other out for dinner, right? You can take the people living yeah. in your house, two or three of yeah. you, out for dinner or lunch. Yeah,
7: I, yeah, for sure. And the people you work with that you trust, um, you know, keep it. It's six or less people you know, people you trust, people you know that you know they've been they've been taking care of themselves. And absolutely, I mean, or go with as you say. Simply just go with your spouse or your your partner and just have a nice evening out. You can do that, and we want you to do that. What Dr. Henry is really trying to address is another issue, as we you know spoke about which is in the private parties and home parties. And it's, you know, unfortunately, it's in an area, you know, like we're, you know, I mean, the the Surrey issue is about 70% of the problem too. So it is kind of isolated. Are are you um, worried
2: though, that this might lead to a closure? Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing other jurisdictions respond by closing indoor dining.
7: We have developed a really strong relationship now within Dr. Henry's office, just on a factual basis, not on any sort of influence basis, just feeding in her, uh, the numbers um, that we're seeing in industry, what you know, the sort of things we're doing, the confidence app we've now launched recently. So um, the two the two parties are, are are making sure now they've said it's not their preference to shut businesses down because that 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 brings with a whole host of other problems. Um, but you know, if we can't get this turned around, then you know it could be a complete shutdown. But she doesn't favor that. She's she's a real she's got a lot of common sense, and as long as our industry is doing the great job that it is. And be prepared to get rid of the people that aren't within our industry. Um, I think she feels very confident that uh, we're not, you know, we're part of the solution, not part of the problem.
2: One of the things we heard from some gym owners was that they knew of other gym owners that weren't following the rules, but nobody really said anything. How has the restaurant industry been about policing other restaurants that perhaps had a little trouble getting on board?
7: Well, I've done this with you before. I would call out with any of the listeners that want to call, Please let us know. Call me or email me of concerns they have. We'll go. We'll go to the restaurant and say this is what we've been told. Um, there, you know, we had a, a place. There was a of place, in, uh recently, and the people went in and the person was wearing a mask and she was really uncomfortable. So I told the owner and said, "This is what you've seen. I suggest you would wear a mask. You don't have to, but it's a public perception. So we will self adjust if there are a couple places." in downtown Vancouver that um, we're, we're wild and crazy, and we just phoned, um, we phoned the health, uh, Vancouver Coastal Health, and said you should get in there and do it because those people will destroy it for the little guy on the street down that's doing it right. And so, yeah, we, um, we've we been very, very intentional about that, yeah. and um, and it's it's serving us well. It's serving us well. So, Fingers know, crossed. There. If anybody on, that's listening you know, has a problem, let us know. we'll uh, We'll go take a look at it.
2: All right, Ian, thanks so much for your time this morning. Take care of that dog. Oh, we will. That is Ian Tostenson, President and CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. So business dropped dramatically last week when those new public health orders came out. People stopped going to indoor dining. 30 to 40 percent, Ian said, but takeout went up correspondingly. So people know they hear the information. They respond to the information.
7: The consequences of stupidity are going to be felt by the people who were there violating the rules, and they should look forward to and check their mailbox, waiting for a penalty to come in the mail to them.
2: That is Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister. Strong words for people who attended an anti-mask protest in Manitoba on Saturday. The situation in that province, though, continues to deteriorate, and you've got some communities, like in Steinbach, reporting they are actually nearing capacity in their hospitals as a result of this pandemic. And it is not a pretty situation. Joining us now is Global News Winnipeg Morning Reporter Abigail Turner for more on this. Abigail, thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. It sounds like it's a bit of a scary situation. Can you give us an idea of how how bad has COVID-19 hit places like Winnipeg?
8: Well, if we take a look just outside of Winnipeg, I know you just played that clip from our Premier uh, Brian Pallister. He was talking about that anti-mask rally we saw over the weekend where just over oh 100 people attended this rally. And Premier Brian Pallister hinted that tickets could be on the way for people uh, who attended this rally based on the license plates. And that's really what's causing, um, I guess you could say, a storm in Manitoba. That's Um, The news of the week is this anti-mask rally. It's kind of the first we've seen in the province. And again, just over 100 people attended and not just adults. We saw lots of kids at this rally, too. So that's really, um, I guess you could say, yeah, the news of the week.
2: Wow, that's interesting. So they're going to use the license plates of the people at the rally to potentially issue tickets to them?
8: Yes, yeah, we had that confirmed yesterday by the province. They haven't given us exact totals as to uh, how many people they do plan on finding, but they are saying they will be using license plates from the vehicles that were at the rally. Huh. And just to put that into perspective, if, if you were a family of four individual fines for the province, they range up to $1,200.
2: Wow, okay, so it could be potentially expensive. Abigail, what has it been like for the hospitals? How many people are kind of in the ICUs, and is there a concern about a strain on the system?
8: Well, as of yesterday, we saw 42 Manitobans in the ICU, and so that's across the province. Now, Steinbach again, they seem to be a, a really big hotspot. So they're just an hour south of Winnipeg, just to give you a bit of perspective. About 16,000 people live in that community. And the Manitoba Nurses Union is saying that some nurses at the Steinbach Hospital were even having to triage patients in their cars because of a lack of space in the emergency department. So that just kind of gives you an idea about how much pressure is really on this small community's hospital.
2: That is some scary stuff, having to triage people people in their cars. So what is the government doing as a result of this? What have the what have the restrictions been like?
8: Well, we are in our level red uh, system for the pandemic response system here in Manitoba. Um, Before that, we were in orange. So this is the highest critical level that we can be at in Manitoba, which has forced a lot of businesses to close. And on top of that, um, they're looking at even more restrictions because over the weekend, online, all over Facebook and Twitter, we saw lots of pictures of parking lots at big giant box stores like Costco and Walmart, all these parking lots full, um, you know, despite these major restrictions that were in place. So the province is saying, you know, we're going to look at tighter restrictions because our hospitals are at capacity, we are at a dangerous level. And on top of that, because our hospitals are at such a high level. They're looking at opening space in arenas. So hockey rinks obviously closed right now in Manitoba, I'm sure in lots of places in Canada. And that's where they will be taking patients, not COVID-19 patients, patients who are uh, in stable condition. um, But that's their next plan of attack.
2: Oh, that's a scary one. All right, Abigail, thanks for your time on that this morning. Thank you so much. That's Abigail Turner, Global News Morning Reporter in Winnipeg, talking about the very serious situation Manitoba is facing right now. They are planning to set up hospitals in arenas. They've got communities like Steinbeck, as she pointed out, there where nurses are reporting they're having to triage patients in their cars because the hospitals are filled to overflowing as a result of the number of COVID-19 cases that they have been getting. And that's enforcement. You talk about what the Premier Pallister just had mentioned there in the clip that we played, that they're talking about using the license plates of people to ticket them or fine them for going to that anti-mask protest on the weekend. That's tough enforcement. $1,200 per person? Is that something that you would like to see here? There's a reason why so many Canadians watch American politics unfold just to the south of us, particularly with this latest election, because when it comes down to it, our relationship with the United States is the most important country to country relationship that Canada has. And that's why today, the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade is going to be exploring that question. How will the results of the U.S. election impact us here in B.C., B.C. businesses, B.C. industries? Now, I'm going to be involved in that event, too, which you can check out online. Shachi Curl is one of the panelists who we will be talking to, and she joins us now, the president of the Angus Reid Institute. Good morning, Shachi. Good morning, Simi. Are you all set to do this? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> All set to talk about this today. I know you were going to do a little bit of a dive into some of the data here as well uh, when it comes to the impact of U.S. elections here. How closely do you think we pay attention as British Columbians to that?
9: Oh, we're we're engaged. I mean, I, at most of the time Canadians are more preoccupied, uh, especially in the last four years with uh, U.S. politics than they have been with Domestic, provincial, or federal affairs of state, which isn't to say that we're not paying attention to those things too, but it it gives you a sense of just how galvanized Canadians have been, particularly in the last four to five years, over what's been happening south of the border. As the world has been, um, these have been really unprecedented times, and you know I'm, I'm sure you'll go back and think about this, and as as I do, we we sort of all collectively spent the first two years going okay, what will it be like? And, you know, oh, well, you know, the Prime Minister figured out how not to get pulled into one of those crazy handshakes, or, oh, what are the implications around a renegotiation of NAFTA? And then we've seen it sort of devolve in the last two years into complete madness. So now we have an opportunity for um, reset. Uh, But I think that, uh, and I don't want to tease that. I I don't want to that data um, in terms of uh, uh, giving it away before the event. But what I can say is Canadians are perhaps not as uh, euphoric and probably a little bit more pragmatic about the outcome of the hmm. U.S. election. I think there is, of course, a sense that, that uh, the change has been a change for good. But frankly, Simi, not Everyone believes that or feels that way. There is a significant segment of Canadians who are Trump supporters and who continue to be Trump supporters, and that persists. And the other thing is, I think there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether uh, a Biden presidency will actually be a good one for British Columbia or a good one for Canada.
2: Yeah, we're definitely going to be exploring that today as well. So it sounds like, though, from what you're saying, Shachi, that there is this idea that um, there is no, oh, it's just four years and then things will go back to the, you know, quote-unquote normal relationship. Are you saying that the relationship has potentially changed permanently?
9: Uh, it's less that the relationship has ch- changed, Simmy, and more that, I think, what, what can happen, and, and it's normal and it's natural that, there can be a tendency to assume that because the person has changed or the personality has changed, that therefore the relationship will change automatically for the better. We do tend to be a country that is a little bit personality-driven. So when Obama was in the White House, he might have been as protectionist around trade or or set out policies that, that were not particularly good for the Canadian economy like Keystone pipeline and of course we've heard Joe Biden talk about his stance on Keystone um, and yet because he was Obama and a rock star and, and somebody who generally seemed like a thoroughly decent person it was like hey it's great no problem um, because Trump was Trump, right. regardless of policy, there was a tendency to think that everything he did was bad for Canada. Although, again, the renegotiation of NAFTA was, was not great for us. We, we did okay, but we did not come out of that better. We came out of it worse. So I think there is some trepidation separating out, separating out Joe Biden the man and separating out you know the fact that you, you probably have more sanity now in the White House than you did over the last four years. What does it really mean to Canada? I think Canadians are fairly circumspect about that.
2: I think, yeah, that's exactly it as well. It's almost like nobody is willing to get their hopes up anymore with this, given everything that's happened in the last couple of years. Uh, it's, 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 been, it's been a pretty squashing time, hasn't it? Uh, yes, it has. And we're going to be talking more about that today. Uh, Shachi, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That is Shachi Curl with the Angus Reid Institute. She is one of the panelists today at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, exploring the question about how the the results of that U.S. election are going to impact B.C. industries of course, we don't have a, you know, a definitive transition plan yet from the US. So it's not like Canada can start reaching out, making those connections. There's still a very delicate diplomatic dance that is being done on that front. So can BC businesses you know find a way or get an idea of how they're going to be impacted? We'll be talking with Shachi about that as well. James Moore is going to be joining us and as well, Bruce Heyman, the former uh, US ambassador to Canada, will also be part of that panel. It'll be really fascinating. And you can check it out online at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade.